Well, Matthew 26 is where we are today. We're moving through this narrative of Matthew, and we're sort of taking big leaps at a time right now because we're wanting to stay on track for uh, the Easter to coincide with the Easter in Matthew. So we're sort of biting big time uh, text right now. So let's start today in verse 17, but we're going to move through multiple verses. And as we do so, we're going to talk about the Passover event, which is a couple of weeks away, but uh, talk about that because it's, it's where the text is for us in Matthew 26, verse 17. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, teacher, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. Well, you probably know the Passover event is a historical event. It's described for us beginning in Exodus chapter 6. And that event of the Exodus of Israel out of their bondage is one that was disclosed by the Lord up front and one that is commemorated throughout the centuries for the Jewish people. And the Passover meal is the time of commemoration. So when you and I talk about Passover, we're talking about a historical event in which God heard the cries of his people. Certainly he did. They had been enslaved for over 400 years in Egypt. Actually, they were in the land of Egypt for 400 plus years they were enslaved in the latter portion of that and in the slavery which was bitter to them they cried out to God and God heard their cry in fact he went to an agent of redemption a man by the name of Moses who was tending his father-in-law's herd and he went to him in the wilderness and said to him I have heard the cry of my people and he would send him commission him to be the agent of redemption communicating God's redeeming work to the people to draw them out of that place of bondage it just is a good reminder for me no matter what you're going through if it's some situation that you're troubled by it maybe it's your health or maybe it's relationships or maybe it's financial or some other really heavy enduring time in your life and you have been crying out to God and you're wondering if God hears you I'm sure Israel thought the same thing as they were enslaved there in Egypt. Know this for certain. God hears your cries. God hears your prayers, and He will respond, and He will act, and it will be right, and it will be loving, and it will be on time. And the timeless order and the wisdom and the love, depth of love of God, it will all be right in the end. Now, it might not be as you anticipated it, but it will all be right in the end as he redeems all things to himself. But the Lord heard the cry, and so he commissions Moses to go to Egypt and tell the Pharaoh and all the people who are holding Israel captive to let them go that they might serve the Lord their God. And of course, if you are a student of the Bible, reader of the Bible, you know the narrative, they didn't do that. And God began to bring acts of judgment against the people. And those acts went on and on till the tenth and the final act of judgment came about where the firstborn of all living things was killed, including Pharaoh's son. And that next day, Israel is leaving the land of Egypt. 
and they are redeemed by Christ. Now, if you remember, the redemption actually took place in that final plague where God said to the people of, of Israel or any who were faithful to him, take a lamb and bring the lamb into your home for a few days, nearly a week. And on the appointed day, the 14th day of nights, and have that lamb killed. And take the blood and let the blood, and from that blood, apply the blood on the doorway of your home as an act of faith. And when my judgment comes over, wherever the judgment sees the blood of the lamb, judgment will pass over that household and all those who are dwelling therein. God had redeemed them in that way. He bought them with the blood of that innocent lamb. And they were obviously rescued from God's judgment and freed from the land of slavery. And now they are on their way to a promised land. They move through the Red Sea. They're baptized, as it were, in the Red Sea, coming out on the other side, on the side towards the promised land. They look back at where they had once been and see the enemies have been destroyed. God is full victory over them for the enemies are now washing up on shore. It's a picture, if you will, of the redemption that Christ has afforded to each of us. By his own blood, we just heard the song, by his own blood that has been shed for us, we by faith come underneath that. And he doesn't just pass over judgment with his own blood. The perfect lamb of God takes away sins and with his glorious grace, he gives to us sinlessness that is righteousness and he declares us to be that way so that we might be free from our slavery as well the slavery of sin death and judgment god frees us from that from the lamb of god who is christ jesus the cousin of jesus identified him there at the pool or, or at the jordan river when jesus walks up when john the baptist is baptizing people unto repentance remember he sees jesus and he points him out behold the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world so it's all a picture moving towards Jesus. The whole, the whole um, uh, Passover event is moving to help people to discover who Jesus is. And even now, after his death, resurrection, and ascension to the right hand of the Father, whenever there is a Passover event like today or communion like today, it's meant to look back to what has already transpired and look forward to what is coming in the second coming of Jesus Christ. So with the the meal as itself, Kay has uh, provided for us today a, a lamb that she cooked yesterday and some harosit, which is here. It's a mixture of apples and walnuts and some spices. It's really, really good. And then the horseradish over there with the uh, parsley is bitter herbs. This is what a typical, in the day of Christ, meal would be for Passover. Now today, it would be lavish. Uh, they'd have lots of other dishes to include. And if you've got a Jewish friend who will allow you into their home during Passover for this kind of meal, plus all their other, you ought to take them up on it because it's a great opportunity. Uh, but anyway, this is, this is a lamb that uh, was cooked. Anybody that wants to stick out after service, any of the kids or students who may want to hang out, I'll get a knife and we'll cut into this one and see how it is. Here's, I can tell you it's good. I had some last night. All right, so um, here's the essential components of the meal. The lamb, the number one thing, isn't it? The lamb is what everybody is moving towards because it, it is that animal that has been sacrificed. Uh, one that depicts, obviously, Jesus Christ as a lamb without blemish. When Jesus told a couple of his disciples to go and prepare 
for the Passover, that meant take the animal and prepare it. Kill the animal, roast it over flame in a traditional way that would mean it would be uh, speared with a pomegranate branch and probably tied, its extremities tied on the upper part, similar to what I have depicted, uh, sort of skewed some on the screen, but depicted that for you today. And, and the disciples would be preparing this meal in a way with a lamb uh, that would be in the shape of a cross that would be very traditional in their day. I'm not saying that that's guaranteed the way they did it, but that would be a traditional way for you to skewer and roast uh, an animal like a lamb over the open flame. The lamb is very important to the meal, obviously, and the bitter herbs as well. In this case, we have horseradish and parsley. I'd be up for the parsley, not up for the horseradish. In the rabbinical teaching, there might be three different ways that bitter herbs would be used. It could be that you take the parsley, dip it into salt water, and eat it. It reminds the people who are doing so of the bitterness of slavery. Or maybe it's taking some matzah that's on the table here and putting some of the horseradish on that and eating that. And that reminds them of the tears that would flow from their forefathers as they were enslaved there in Egypt. Uh, it wouldn't just be tears that would flow for me. It would be sweat flowing from my brow and a nose that's burning as well. I'm not into horseradish, but maybe you are. Anyway, it would do its work. It would certainly open up the sinuses in the spring of the deep south. And then you have the matzah as well. The matzah is unleavened bread. Anybody been doing spring cleaning in the last two or three weeks? Bunch of lazy goofs. What have you been doing? <laughs> I'm going to tell you, Kay has been putting me to the spring cleaning test, that's for sure. It always, spring cleaning comes around multiple times of the year whenever we have guest connections and we bring people into the house, spring cleaning goes on. So we've been spring cleaning for various reasons. You can usually tell who's been spring cleaning because the muscles that you haven't been using for a while are suddenly sore. Uh, and so we've been spring cleaning. That is a tradition that actually comes during the period of Passover, the week leading into it. It comes out of the tradition of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where the Hebrews would work through the house to ensure that all the leavened items in the house are gone. The leaven's gone, and any bread, any dough that's been baked with leaven is gone. In fact, they'd open the cupboards and sweep them out to ensure that no crumbs with leaven are left in the house. And so the tradition begins. The matzah's unleavened bread that represents Christ Jesus. Leaven, almost every time in Scripture, is a representation of sin. And so he says to Israel, I want there to be a week of unleavened bread. I want there to be a week where you are sanctified, that you are purposeful and intentful not to allow sin to encroach in your mind and in your mouth and in your heart and in your actions. So those things are the primary uh, table that you have. Jesus, when he was taking some of the matzah, I think, and dipping it in the bitter herbs or uh, into the horseradish or into the, the bitter herb that he chose for that day, said this. This is what Matthew recorded as Jesus was doing that. As they were eating, he said, Truly, I say to you, one will betray me. And they were very, were very sorrowful and began to say, to one another, to him and one another. Lord, is it I? 
So he answers, oh, it's he that dips his hand in the dish with me who will betray me. And the Son of Man, verse 24, goes as it is written of him. But woe to the man to, by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been bored. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Rabbi, uh, is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, you have said so. So I can just see Jesus taking that matzah, dipping it into that horseradish and eating it and them asking, is it me? Is it me? And Judas is dipping it in that same bowl at the same time with him. And he says, it's as you said, uh, it's you. Well, the meal works through in an orderly process. It's not like uh, us when we had the boys at home and you put the meal down and we say a, a prayer of thanksgiving and then boom, <laughs> it's on. It's not like that with Passover. Passover follows what is called the Manishnatah. It's a series of four statements and questions that are worked through. It's a time for the head of the table, the father, uh, the patriarch of the family, to work the family through the narrative of the Passover event. It's a time to recall the redemption of God of the people of Israel out of Egypt. And of course, if you're Messianic, it's a time to point to Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished and the fullness thereof on the cross and in the resurrection. Uh, but as we work through the meal, uh, it actually originates out of the sixth chapter of Exodus, which is this beginning, this promise of God of the Passover event. He says this to Moses, he says, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Now, if you're one to underline in your Bible, this is a good section to underline because there's four I am statements here that we ought to pay attention to because these are, these are promises that are made specifically to Israel. But as God speaks, oftentimes he speaks with the intermediate view, what is right here at hand, but he also speaks many times with a, a further out view. And you're going to have it in this text. So we're reading a text that's written specifically to Israel about them, and God does this work. He brings about these promises of I will, but we can look further out past uh, the redemption of Christ to our own life, and we can see that God has done much of the same for us through Jesus. So I will bring you out from the, under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment and I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So those four statements are noted throughout the meal, the Passover meal, and with each one there's a cup that sort of causes the person to pause and to contemplate one of those four statements. So as we're working through, you can see it in your handout, uh, the first cup is, is the cup of sanctification. And it's a cup in which God has acted in mercy towards the people and acted in judgment at the same time. He's judging those who are rebellious to him, and he's acting in a very merciful way to those who will not be rebellious. So it's during this part of the meal that the leader of the house would just recount the ten plagues that were experienced there in the land of Egypt. And the tenth, of course, being the, the, the killing of the firstborn. Uh, but he would also recount how God had given instruction and the lamb was sacrificed and the blood was applied. And wherever the blood was applied, there was an atonement. The, there was an overlooking, uh, moving past, a covering over the people in that home. Of course, as we think of it now, Jesus is that lamb of God 
that ceased all other lambs from ever being sacrificed. There's no reason to sacrifice animals. Jesus is the Lamb of God. And when his blood was shed, it's not just shed once and multiple times, it's once and done. There's no working of the, the high priest now unto the remission of our sins. Christ has forgiven sins for all who will act in faith towards him. The sins are clean. And so the Lamb is there pointing to that redemptive moment in which Christ is fully satisfied. Listen, if you're here today and you desire God to wipe your sins away and replace them with the righteousness of Christ, come to Jesus. Have faith in Him. Because when you apply His blood over your life, when, when He graciously moves with mercy and love to apply His blood over you, He wipes away the sin and He wipes away the debt of sin and He gives to us the treasure of righteousness. What a beautiful reminder it is for us as we have this, this beginning of the meal, the cup of sanctification. Christ alone can sanctify us, make us holy by taking away our sin and giving us His righteousness. It's in this point of this, uh, after the first cup is, has been moved through, you have a ceremonial washing. No food has been eaten yet. Only, only a cup has been drunk. And so now it's time to eat the meal. And of course, there's a ceremonial cleansing that has to happen. So a bowl of water would be brought out, a towel. And that bowl is just passed around to the participants there at the table this isn't like a scrub-a-dub with soap <laughs> getting ready to eat, like your mom would say, go wash your hands getting ready for supper. This is a ceremonial cleansing. I really believe it would be at this point in the meal, the beginning of the meal, that Jesus would take that bowl and he wouldn't pass it, but he would go around at the reclining table and he would wash the feet of all the disciples. Not just their hands would be clean, but their feet would be clean as well. Now that's the most humble position a servant would have to wash the feet. And none of the disciples had done that for their Lord, but their Lord certainly does it for them. It really shows the humility that our Savior has. And you say, well, why would he be so humble? Because he's a suffering servant. That's what Isaiah the prophet said. And of course that is easily unfolded the ultimate sacrifice is going to be that he gives his own blood he serves even before doing that and he says to the disciples as he says to us as i have done to you you do to one another serve one another serve one another when there's a need serve one another when you sense that there's an uncleanness in someone's life go to them help them out of that follow suit where there's sickness, where there's loneliness, where there is need, serve one another. It's what Christ would call us to do. Well, the second cup is the cup of deliverance. And this is the cup by which the, the whole narrative is going to be uh, worked through. In fact, they're going to have the meal during this cup. And in the middle of the meal, or maybe at the latter portion of the meal, uh, there will be a tash uh, that will be on the table, and in the tash are three pieces of matzah bread. It's like what you see on the screens right now. 
There will be one in the upper part, one in the lower part, and one in the middle. The one in the middle, the head of the table, would take that middle piece of bread, that matzah out, and he would break it in two, put half of it back into the tash, and the other half he would wrap in a linen napkin, still do that to this day, wrap that in linen somewhere in the house. It's hidden, and the kids, once they've finished their meal, would be instructed, go and find that uh, hidden bread. It's called the afikoman. And, of course, they're scurrying through the house looking for it. And when they discover it, there's a, quite a bit of excitement. That little boy or that little girl rushes back to the table and presents the afikoman to the, the father or the grandfather, whoever's leading the Seder meal. And, and a, a wonderful gift is given to that child for finding that. No question in my mind, Jesus has given to us a wonderful tradition for his Jewish followers or those, those people of his brothers and sisters who are Jewish. He's saying to them, the God is known as Father, Son, and Spirit. In the middle portion of that, the bread is brought out, it's broken. Half of it is put back, the other half is hidden. And when it's discovered and it's brought back after being wrapped in the linen, there's a gift that is given. Think with me for a moment. God has made himself known through Jesus Christ, and he came that he might be broken for us. He was wrapped in linen and put into the tomb, hidden into the earth, but on the third day he was resurrected gloriously. And now he gives gifts, gifts such as grace and forgiveness of sin, and gifts such as commissioning us to be part of the eternal kingdom work that he himself was part of and a wonderful treasure of reward is going to be for all those who have been found faithful to him it's a grand illustration isn't it even used today in a traditional jewish way to know who jesus christ is and we certainly recognize him as that as the narrative is accounted for jesus i think is illustrated in the afikoman the word actually means by the way i have come it's interesting, the bread of life wants us to know that He has come. He has come making God known. He's come as the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's in the traditional blessing at this moment of the meal that the leader would say, Blessed are you, O Lord, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from life. Jesus is that one who brings forth bread from life. You know how Jesus brings forth bread from life? He brings forth bread like a kernel of grain, a wheat that brings forth bread. He gives us this description in John chapter 12, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So here Jesus is illustrating himself as a kernel of grain is put into the ground and when that grain is put into the ground something miraculous happens doesn't it? it sprouts and it's not just that it sprouts but it brings forth an abundance it brings forth multiple kernels so that one becomes many and jesus is saying unless i die unless i'm put into the ground there will not be a forbearing of life there will not be a coming forth of life and abundance but as it is he is the Christ who was killed. He is the Christ who was buried. He is the Christ who was resurrected. And he is the Christ that gives life in abundance. So he is the bread of life, the very source of our living. And he has certainly multiplied through us. When you hold the bread, you can see even now, this is 
matzah that was just bought down the road and I don't remember if it's Winn-Dixie or Publix one of our assistants did it for us but you can see you can buy it yourself uh, the matzah is unleavened but to ensure that it doesn't rise in any way doesn't even bubble up without the leaven it's pierced and the scars are there from the racks where it's been placed on the on the oven rack and of course uh, you and I know the prophetic words that God has given to us in the Old Testament by his stripes we are healed and he was pierced for our transgressions even holding the bread reminds us that Jesus is the bread of life who provides for us through his sacrifice I'm going to ask our deacons to move into place now they're going to begin distributing the bread uh, which was baked here just a, a few days ago a couple of days ago and that bread is unleavened and it too was pierced as you probably won't be able to tell that because we've cut it in small pieces but when you hold that bread I want you to think about all that is transpiring in this meal and all that is transpiring from the scripture and how God is speaking to you in that when you hold that bread and its representation of sinlessness in Christ of brokenness that Christ suffered and he died of being pierced wounded for our transgressions healed providing healing for us spiritually and otherwise when you hold that contemplate that that's what this meal is supposed to be about a remembrance Jesus says as often as you do it do it in remembrance of me so as you hold the bread and just right after that they're going to pass to you the cup as you hold the bread and the cup think about what Christ has offered to us today by his sacrifice think of the life that he's called us to live in the midst of that offering examine yourself as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 examine yourself readying yourself to participate in this if you've got any sin or any ought uh, certainly confess that repent of that and get that right so that you might take of this in the right heart frame of mind now father as we receive this let your spirit speak to us individually and collectively i pray in the name of jesus amen
remind us of the four promises that were expressed by God through Moses. The third cup that Jesus was raising to the disciples at that point where you and I are right now is the cup of redemption. He said, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Of course, Jesus is bearing in mind the cross that will be his by the next day, noon. He recognizes that that which is coming is going to be his carrying the weight of the sin of the world upon himself on a sinner's cross. That that would be the plan of redemption. That was the plan of redemption. That Jesus would take on our burden of sin upon him there and he would free us from the bondage of sin. And he would take our death upon himself on the cross and die in agony and shame, freeing us from the bondage of the same. He releases us of all shame and he releases us from death so that those who follow him do not taste death. What Jesus was bearing on himself was the wages of our sin, which is death. And he is giving us the gift of eternal life for all who would have faith in him. So he takes the third cup, the cup of redemption, and he explains that it is his sacrifice that brings about the redemption of people. He says in Matthew 26, 26 through 29, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So, Father, thank you for the offering of the bread and the cup today and the remembrance that we have of your offering of Jesus, your only beloved Son, who willfully took our sin upon himself and died with it on the sinner's cross who shed his blood to give us remission of sins. And by faith, Lord, we take in that word along with this bread and this cup with thanksgiving. In the name of Jesus, amen. That cup obviously reminds us of the covenant that God has made for us through Christ, and Christ was extending that covenant to us. It was often in the day of Jesus that a cup was offered when a covenant or a contract was made. For example, when a wedding was proposed, a betrothal period was proposed, the prospective groom would go to the family of the prospective bride and he would enter into a covenant with the family. If I were uh, in the day of Christ, I would have gone to Kay's dad and proposed 
that we be married, that Kay and I would be married. And I would offer to her dad a bride price. There is a cost that, it's, that will have to be paid. And in, in the custom of that day, the bride price was determined. And that I was giving an offering to the bride price. And with that, I would take a cup of wine and I would offer it on the table. As I'm offering my covenant, I offer the price. And if her dad was willing to receive that, he would take that cup up and drink it. Somebody asked me after the first service, what happens if he doesn't take it? You go home a sad man, don't you? It's not a deal. In the same way, Jesus is offering to us a covenant. It's a new covenant. It's a covenant of his blood. The bride price, what does it cost for you to be redeemed? His own life. The shedding of his own blood. And he's willing to pay it. And he offers to us the cup. And if we're willing to agree to the covenant, then we drink of the cup. We drink it by faith. We receive him into our life and yield ourselves to him from this day forward. To live as he's called us to live with the empowerment he's given to us by his Holy Spirit. To live holy lives, pure lives, blameless lives. Lives on commission with his gospel message. Submitting ourselves to one another. Loving God, loving others. This is what we're called to. The covenant is established and made and paid by Jesus. But you and I receive the joy of the covenant. We receive all the wonders of the covenant. All the cost was up to him. But then there's another cup. There's the fourth cup in the meal. And Jesus says to his disciples, I'm not going to drink the cup of acceptance until we're together again in heaven. In my father's house, where there will be a grand wedding buffet, it will be then that I will drink of that fourth cup, the cup of acceptance. You might say, why? Were the disciples not accepted? Oh, sure, the disciples were accepted, except one, the son of perdition. The acceptance was not full yet, though. Not only had the Jewish people rejected by and large Jesus Christ, but there's a whole nation, an alliance of nations who have yet to come in faith, the whole world that needed to know the gospel. And soon the disciples will be commissioned out to that world, first to Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and then all the earth. We are in that period in which is called the age of grace where the church has been commissioned to go to all the world inviting all the peoples of all nations of all languages and all tribes to come to Jesus. Come to him and receive him. For there is a grand reception for all who are belonging to him. On the first day of heaven, we will sit at his table and he will hold up the final cup, the cup of acceptance and he will drink it with us who are by faith belonging to him. Will that include you? Will you be there? Will you say, I hope I will? Well, you can know for certain because of the third cup, the cup of redemption. You won't get there by your good works. You won't get there by you changing the way you live. 
You won't get there by shelling out some money. You won't get there by a routine of coming to church. You get there by coming under the blood of Jesus. That song that we just sang, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You come to Jesus. You come underneath Him. You come underneath the cross with your sin on Him. And you recognize the mercy that God is extending to you and the grace that He's offering to you and the righteousness of Christ. And you yield yourself to Him. You deny yourself in the way you live. You take up the cross of Christ. And you follow after Him. And then the cup of acceptance is yours to drink. You'll stand before a holy God one day, fully accepted because of what Christ has offered and done for you.